him. And there's a number of things I'd like to share from this event that happened this week down in Alexandria, Louisiana. But I do not have the time to go through all of it. But I do want to share something that was was spoken uh, over the ministers there that uh, Thursday evening. And there was four prophecies given. And I believe that they were not just applicable for the people in that room, but for the people that uh, that are across this nation that would like to receive it. And so I want to share those with you. And if you want to write them down, you can. If you don't have time, you don't have a pen and paper to write these down, you could ask me after service and I could text them to you or email them to you. But these are four prophecies that the preacher believed that the Lord gave to him for 2018 and for the people of the church. And I receive it and I'd like to share them with you because I want as a church to receive it together. And that is these, if you give me a second to open up my notes. Number one prophecy that he stated that was for us to receive if we so choose is that God in 2018 wants to give us an influx of souls. God wants his church to grow in an amazing way. And that will happen only if we make the lost our priority. If we make people outside of the house of God a priority to love and to reach and to disciple, we are going to see an influx, a growing of souls in this church. We do not want just to see numbers in a church to celebrate how uh, high of a number we can reach, but we know that those numbers represent souls. They represent somebody's eternity. And I want to see people go to heaven. Amen. I want the devil to be spoiled. Right? I want I want his all his goods that he has to be robbed from him. I want people to be reconciled to God. And the prophecy went forth that this is going to be a year of an influx of souls if we would make the lost our priority. If you're here today, you've been born again and you're found in the blood of the lamb. We ought to make the lost our priority this year. Someone say amen. I believe that and I receive that. The second thing he stated, this is Jack Cunningham who uh, prophesied these things at because of the times was God is sending Saul of Tarsus types to bless the church. The people that we think least likely to be a part of the church, that may oppose the church, that may be against the church, God is going to convert those people and drastically change the outcome of the church. Saul was persecuting the church in that day and in that hour. But God brought him to his knees and smote him to the ground. And he was radically transformed. And Saul was converted to Paul. And Paul reached the then known world. And I believe there's people in South Dakota that have yet to be reached that we think there is no way they're ever going to darken the doors of the church. There is no way that they're going to be in the ministry. There's no way they're going to serve God. God is going to connect us to those types of people. And we're going to see them use mightily of God. If you believe that, would you shout amen? Number three, the prophecy money will not be a problem for the church in 2018. We do not seek money. We do not pursue money. And that is not our objective. But we do realize the things and the goals and the dreams that we reach forth. There is funding required to be able to sustain some of those ventures. But he said that there will not need to be a worry for a church that sacrifices and gives willfully and cheerfully. God's going to take care of that. 
that kind of church. This church right here, this small group of people, just gave a $5,000 offering to help start churches across this country. I think God sees the heart and the attitude of this church, not to build up our own kingdom, but to build his kingdom. And I believe God has already come through in some awesome ways. Here would be just a quick example how this has already started to come to pass. If you've never investigated the chairs down or the tables downstairs in our fellowship area, they are the most ghetto, jank, rank, stank, goofy tables that were donated to us. And we're thankful for them. They have survived miraculously for two years downstairs. But if you look underneath them, the frames are bent. Some of them are held together by zip ties. It's by the mercy of God that they have not collapsed. But we simply made a quick phone call to three different pastors. And three different pastor friends of mine within five minutes bought us new tables that are on their way here and are buying additional chairs for the sanctuary. A total of $9,700 that we did not have that outside sources came through to provide for this church. I'm telling you, this is going to be a year of watching God miraculously provide for his people. If you believe that, would you clap your hands to the Lord and say amen? The fourth prophecy that went forth was this. That if we would train and allow church to operate in gifts, we would see signs, wonders, miracles following. Any church, the, you know, you've heard this, uh, this stated before, that what we get is what we preach. We will get what we preach. And if we begin to preach, allow, permit, and train and give proper instruction for the moving of the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Spirit to take place in the church, we are going to, we have talked about it, we have preached about it, but this year we're going to see it. We are going to see the activity of the Holy Spirit move in such a substantial way. If you believe these four things that were brought forth, would you lift up your hands as a sign of God, I believe it and I receive it for the year 2018. Would you verbalize that right now? Would you lift up your voice unto God? Lord, I believe it, Jesus. Therefore, I speak it. I receive the prophecies that went forth and know, God, that they are for this hour and for this church. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? Come on, would you clap it like you believe right now? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I asked Sister Miller, she was uh, uh, last week, the Millers were not with us. And if you knew last uh, Wednesday before and last Sunday, we were praying for Brittany's mother, uh, uh, Sister Chuppy up in Bismarck, North Dakota. She had massive heart attack and uh, uh, and Brittany's going to come this time and shares just some of the things that happened that we were praying about and some of the things that Lord has done. And how many are thankful that her mother is still alive and well today? Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is definitely not in my comfort zone to be standing behind this pulpit, but I asked Pastor if I could share this testimony because God did a miracle for my family last week, and that's the least I can do is stand up here and give God praise for that. So about a week and a half ago, um, we got a call from my dad about 3.30 in the morning that my mom did not have a heartbeat and she hadn't been breathing. Um, he had started CPR on her and called called for the paramedics to come, and they estimated it was between probably 5 and 15 minutes of her having no oxygen before they were able to shock her and get her heart beat going again. Um, they took her, rushed her to the ER, 
And when she got there, they determined that she had had a massive heart attack, and three of her arteries, one was completely, one artery was completely blocked, and two more were close to being fully blocked. She needed three stents to put, put in. And during the surgery, um, she coded again, and they had to shock her three more times to get her heart going again. And while all this was going on, um, we, of course, were praying, and we were getting our bags packed and getting our kids ready and headed, headed for Bismarck. Um, it felt like a long drive there, and we weren't sure what we were gonna, what we were gonna face when we got there. But as we were driving and just praying, I had a song in my heart. It's called "Still," and we played it a couple times. And um, some of the words are, "Father, you are King over the flood. I will be still and know you are God." And once we got to the hospital, um, they had my mom in a medically induced hypothermia. They were worried that her organs were going to be damaged, especially her brain being without oxygen for that long. And so it was a process that would take about two days where they um, had her on a ventilator. They had her paralyzed with drugs and sedated. And they were just given a chance for her organs to cool down and not have to work so hard as she was hopefully going to be recovering. And as I went into that hospital room, my dad was in there. And he got out his phone and... He had recorded some videos of my mom playing piano in her living room a few years ago without her knowing it. And he began to play a song, and the first song he played was still the song I had just been listening to in the vehicle. And it was just a confirmation to me that God was in control. Even though it was scary and stressful, I knew God was in control of the situation. Um, during this time that she was in the hyperthermia, they, did, they ran some tests on her heart, and her cardiologist came in and told us she was very surprised, and she said there is no damage to her heart. She said, we are just going to have to wait and see how her brain looks, but I'm very surprised there's no damage to her heart. Um, as she was slowly coming off sedation, she was still on the ventilator, so she couldn't talk or anything, but our whole family was gathered around her bed, and um, she began to be able to identify us with her eyes. Um, we'd name one of us, and she would find us right away. She would squeeze our hands and move her toes, and we were just, our hearts were so full of thanks that she even was waking up, and especially that she knew who all of us were. Um, we just gathered around the room and around her bed, and we began to sing one of my dad's favorite songs, Thanks, Thanks, I Give You Thanks for All You Have Done. And there was just a sweet presence of God that filled that room. Um, a few hours later, she was able to come off the ventilator. She was doing very well. Um, she was able to answer all the, all the questions and follow all the commands they were giving her. And her doctor told us, and I quote, she is a miracle. Um, chances of surviving cardiac, cardiac arrest outside of the hospital are very small, and especially coming out without severe brain damage, they're even smaller um, her doctor told us that she easily could have been a vegetable or, of course, not come out of it at all. Um, she was in the hospital a few more days, and this past week she was able to go home. She is gaining strength. She's doing very, very well. Her mind is sharp. And while we were at the hospital, I reminded, I was talking to Nathan, and I was reminded of a few months ago we were in a leadership session at this church, and we were in the youth chapel, and pastor had us break into small groups and give a prayer request. And at the time, I'd asked Sister Jordan and Alejandra to pray that I would see a healing. 
I didn't think it would ever be someone so close to me, but I'm so thankful God answered that prayer. Many lives were touched because of this miracle. Um, there was a nurse that was working close with our family, and she asked us about our church. We were able to witness to her and give, offer her a Bible study. Another one got invited to church. And one of my focuses during this fast has been the salvation of my grandparents. And my grandparents were there. They were able to witness this miracle, and I believe it was just one more chance for God to show them his power. Um, my mom's brother came into the room, and he grabbed my dad's hand and started crying and said, Can you pray with me? Um, Mark chapter 16, verse 18, among other things, says, You can lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And then two verses later, this, this verse has been on my heart. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. There are many people that we have worked with. They've heard the word of God. And I believe God wants to work with us and confirm his word with signs. I am so thankful for the miracle that God did in my family, what he's going to do. And I'm also looking forward to what he's going to do in Watertown. Praise God. Let's worship the Lord together. Come on, let's lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your miraculous power, God. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. You are worthy, Jesus. You are incredible, God. We thank you for coming through, Jesus. You've never left us. You've never forsaken us, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Someone shout, thank you, Jesus. Come on, someone shout like it was your own mother. Thank you, Jesus. Man, what an awesome God we serve. I am thankful. I am thankful. I am thankful. We serve a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. Prayer absolutely works. If you want to call out by faith, we serve a God that hears and not only is on standby, but he speedily responds. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to turn to the word of the Lord, to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43. I know we have changed the order of service and things are a little different, but that has been, been done on ten, intentionally. We are going to pray here in just a little bit. I've shared with you that we were at because of the times and while there, there was a number of things I felt to share with the church here today. Not because I could not find something from God, something new, different, fresh that I have uh, yet to preach but because I believe as I was listening to the preach word of the Lord, God wanted me to share what I heard. And what I'm going to share with you in just a second was something that a preacher there talked about. I am not going to go into the detail that he had, but if you are at all interested, I did purchase that sermon, the audio, and I could let you uh, listen to that yourself. And it is a far superior job. Uh, in that setting than what I'm going to present to you. But I'm going to present in the way this church needs to hear it. And uh, and if you don't want just to listen to the audio, I know Brother Dave bought the DVD set, and I'm sure he'd be more than happy to let someone watch the DVD. Uh, but I am going to preach something that was spoken by uh, Wednesday night by a man of God named Elias Limones. And he preached about these portions of scriptures I am going to share with you right now. We're going to go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43 and verse 12. Someone say, this is the law of the house. This is the law of the house. This is the law of the house of God. Upon the top of the mountain, the whole limit thereof roundabout shall be most holy. This is 
the law of the house. It is God's law. It is God's will for his house to be holy. We cannot make the church what we want it to be. We must make the church what God intended it to be. This is the law of the house. If you grew up in a home where there was stability and your parents were there, I'm sure there were some rules, restrictions, and guidelines, and they let things be known how they were to be. There was certain stuff in our home. It's just the way it was. We had a room in our house. It was a family room, except the problem was our family was never allowed in that room. It was a beautiful room, well decored room with white couch and white chairs and white carpet. And it was just uh, picturesque like you would see in a magazine. It was called the family room, but the family was not allowed to be in there. It was just for looks. And we were always upset when guests would come over and my mother would say, oh, come in come in and we would watch foreigners sit on these white couches and beautiful furniture and we would just sit there at a distance salivating wondering what it would be like to sit in the family room that was not for our family it was the law of the house and the Lord has a house that far exceeds anything we can decor within our own homes that is the house of the living God. And there's some things God has decreed to be, and they're going to be that way from now till eternity. Verse 13, let us look at the law of this house. And these are the measures of the altar. Someone say the altar. These are the measurements of the altar after the cubits. The cubit is a cubit and a hand breadth. Even the bottom shall be a cubit and the breadth a cubit. And the border thereof by the edge thereof round about shall be a span. And this shall be the higher place of the altar. I will not preach long, just the next couple minutes here. And we're going to have a time of prayer. And I am persuaded that we are going to see the hand of the Lord in this place. We're going to talk about the seventh hand together. Can we lift our voices to Jesus? Can we ask him to speak to us in a specific way? Jesus, Lord, I did not come here today to rehash and re-preach a sermon because I did not feel anything. But Lord, I am going to preach what I felt you laid on my heart as Brother Lamone has preached at Because of the Times. I am going to speak the word of the Lord that I believe is intended for this church in this moment and this hour. I pray and I ask that you would help me to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. And I pray, God, that the congregation will be sensitive to the moving of the power of your spirit. And somebody say in Jesus name, if you want God to do something in your life today, would you clap your hands and shout unto God with a voice of triumph? Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I fully am persuaded, anticipate, and expect a moving of your presence. Someone say in Jesus' name. Amen. The seventh hand. We just read in Ezekiel 43, 13, and verse 12 as well about the house of the Lord and the way it is designed to be. And it, for the sake of time, we're going to focus just on one element that was in the temple, in the house of God, and the artifact was called the altar. And there was a specific measurement given to that altar, and we found it here in verse 13, that the altar was to measure a cubit and a hand's breadth. 
Whether or not you like those dimensions, it doesn't matter if it is your preference or not. This is the law of the house of the Lord. God is the one who said the altar is to be this specific length. It is to be a cubit and a hand's breadth. Now, the hand of man can do amazing things. In this room, there are certain skill sets and trades that uh, blow my mind away. I could not imagine doing some of the things that you do in this room. At the same degree, some of you probably look at my pathetic hobby called coffee, and you could not imagine having that kind of touch and persuasion towards coffee and putting that kind of detail and emphasis within a simple cup. But all of us have unique hands that accomplish unique things. We got Brother Miller in the house here who it works on people's tees. I, I, I could not imagine having that steady hand with some diamond drill bit going into someone's mouth and hollowing out a place in their tooth so I could fill a cavity. I could not fathom doing that. I couldn't fathom what Brother Dave does as he's in his mad science laboratory performing science experiments with guinea pig pizza hut dinghies. I don't know what he's messing around with in that lab, but I couldn't imagine having that knowledge and transferring to the hand and working with all that chemical. I couldn't imagine being like Baron or like James and framing together some sort of building uh, for the purpose of farming equipment. I couldn't imagine being like Michael who drives that farm equipment. I'd, I wouldn't even know what side of the steering wheel is what on a John Deere or Kubota or whatever farm equipment they're driving. I couldn't imagine the things that some of you all do, but it is incredible the talent that is in this room and the things that you all can accomplish with your hands. God has given man the ability to learn and God has given the man the ability to be diligent with that information and have application through his hands. We have built amazing structures. We have built wonderful cities. We have built wonderful vehicles. We have done amazing things by the hand of man. When we read here, we read of an artifact in the temple called the altar. And it was the hand of man that built this altar. And that altar measured a cubit and a hand's breadth. A cubit is a measurement of man. A cubit is approximately six spans of a man's hand. So you take your palm from one end of it to the other, the span of your hand. It takes about six of those for the average individual to go from the one end of the elbow to the tip of your finger. The average span of a man's cubit would be approximately six hands. Unless you are T-Rex or Mark Brown, then it's going to fall much shorter than that many spans of hands. But six is on average the number of the tip of your elbow to the tip of your uh, finger from the one end of a hand to the other six times. This is the number of man. You see it throughout the word of God all the way back to the book of Revelation when the number of man is made known six, six, six. This is the number of man. And what we have read here is the law of the house of the Lord. That the altar was to measure the number of a cubit. 
God said, you take it this far, but don't leave it that far. Add another span of a hand breadth to that. God said, you can build the altar so far, so long, but you're going to need another hand. You measure a cubit and add another hand breadth. We read in the book of Joshua 22 and verse 10 about some individuals that built an altar. It was here at the borders of Jordan in the land of Canaan that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, the half tribe of Manasseh, they built there an altar by Jordan. This sounds like a fantastic thing that they built an altar. But the Bible says this altar was not just an ordinary altar. It was a great altar. And I'm glad that we can build altars and I'm glad we can build great altars, but it's not enough to build an altar that is so great merely to look upon. That was the only purpose of the altar of the children of Gad and the children of Reuben and the half tribe of Manasseh was to build an altar by Jordan, a great altar merely to be looked upon. We know this for in verse 26, the Bible says they told the other tribes of the children of Israel. Let us now prepare to build an altar, not for the purpose of burnt offering in verse 26, and not for the purpose of sacrifice. It was only for the purpose to see that it was an altar, and it was great to look upon. Hear me today, church. It is not enough for us to build an altar that is just great to look upon. It's not enough for us to build an altar that's just nice to look at and say, oh, the Jesus church has a great altar. Oh, the Jesus church has wonderful dimensions in their building. I love that new facility that they got miraculously two years ago. Isn't it a great building? Isn't it a great facility? Isn't it nice carpeting? Isn't it nice and warm in here during the winter? And isn't it nice and cool in here in the summer? What a beautiful platform. What a nice setup. What a nice sound system. I like the design and the contour of the chair. They're so comfortable. It's so wonderful to have a nice moving screen that's elegant with nice design graphics. What a wonderful musicians that we have that play eloquently and sing majestically. We can look and sound nice, but man, that's all we can do. We can only do so much. We can only add a cubit to this church. But God says, don't stop short at just the work of a man's hand. It's not enough for us to look and say, isn't this a great building. And isn't this a great church? We've got to have the hand of the Lord upon this church. Come on, if that's your desire, would you lift up your voice? Would you clap your hands to the Lord one more time? I don't want to build an altar that's not for burnt offering. I don't want to build a great altar that's not for sacrifice. We have a lot of flesh trying to do a lot of spirit. I'm thankful for more flesh that's in this building. I'm thankful for more people that have been added to this church. But I don't want flesh and no spirit. The flesh that comes into this place cannot substitute for the work of the spirit. You might have a high IQ and you might have a high skill set that is in wonderful demand, but we still must be in need 
need of the moving of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for anyone that's added to this church that can add some value, that adds some ability. But your flesh cannot be a substitute for the need of the Holy Ghost in this altar and in this church. Would you shout hallelujah? See, we as man can build religion, but we cannot produce salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. We can build a nice altar for people to look at. And we can have wonderful, comfortable seating and nice lighting. We can have all these things. We can build religion in Watertown. But I'm not interested, Brother Doug, in building religion. I want God to produce salvation. For I cannot save your soul. I might say a funny joke during the sermon that might make you smile. I might be friendly after service and you may find me endearing and let me make you a cup of coffee. But I, in those ways, cannot save your soul. I can't break the cycle of methamphetamine. I cannot break you free from marijuana. I cannot fix your marriage. I can't set you free from your depression. It is only God who can do that. It is only God, the working of his spirit, that can set someone free in this place. Oh, I wonder if there's someone here today that says, God, I need your hand on this altar. God, I need your hand on this church. God, I need your hand in my life. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? See, all of our structure, I I do believe part of the reason why we are growing. It is not the sole reason, but part of the reason we are starting to see some unique things and opportunities and growth in this church is because of the structure, is because of the organization. Do not be so quick to dismiss structure and organization, for life attaches to structure. You go out into the middle of a sea where there is nothing, but you find now a sunken plane from World War II, and life attaches to it. Life attaches itself to to structure. They make uh, uh, false reefs in the ocean. Marine biologists, when they want to create new life in a new ecosystem, they do that intentionally because they know life attaches to structure. I am not against structure. I do not oppose it. Brother Terry Schock made a uh, comment in one of, uh, during his sermon at Because of the Times as he mentioned about the children of Israel. They followed whatever the cloud of glory. When the cloud of glory was uh, uh, stationary, that's where they built camp. But when the cloud or the pillar of fire went up and moved on, they moved on as well. So some people interpret that, oh, see, just kind of move with the spirit. But hear me, they set up a whole temple. They set up candlesticks, table of showbread. They set up an altar of incense. There were sacrifices. There was animals. So when that cloud went up, they were like, oh my goodness. Okay, who's got the candle? Who's got the candle? Who's got the altar of incense? Oh, we need someone to get the... They weren't in a panic when the cloud went up. They had a system and a structure. So when God moved, they were ready to move. And we need that kind of system and structure in the church. So when the spirit moves, we know when to stop the music. And when the spirit is moving a certain direction, we can be sensitive to the moving the direction. When we're in the middle of a sermon, that we can be sensitive enough and structured enough to be obedient and yielded to however the spirit is moving. So we're not against structure in organization. But see, a cubit is the structure and the organization. It's about all we can do. All we can do is bring some structure and some organization. And that is just that. Six 
hands. It's just a cubit. It's just as much as we can do in our ability. We ought to do it well. For the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Put some effort into it. I like what this one man told me one time as I was trying to cut a corner. He says, look, anything worth doing is worth doing right. Man, if I'm going to come to church, if it's worth going to church, it's worth having church right. I, I want to have church right. And if I'm going to wake up instead of sleep in, if I'm going to get my clothes on, if I'm going to get my kids in the car, if I'm going to warm up the vehicle, if I'm going to drive across town, some of you drive 40 minutes, some of you drive an hour and a half to be here. If you're going to put all that effort in, anything worth doing is worth doing right. I want to do church right. I want to do church according to the law of the house. Someone shout amen. I'm thankful for all six hands that are on deck in this place. I'm thankful for all y'all's help and your work and the labor that you put into it. But as we have got more structure and we have more organization, and I'm thankful for all six hands for before it was just maybe one hand here and one hand there. But now we got a team of six hands. We got a group of six hands. But if we are not careful, we'll build something just to look at. We need the seventh hand. We need the cubit and the span of another hand. The Bible says in Zechariah 4, 6, look, this doesn't come by might. This doesn't come by power. It comes by the spirit, saith the Lord. For except the Lord build the house, Psalm 127 and verse 1, we labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city. We're watching this in vain. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and he that abides and me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You can have the most beautiful vineyard with the nice lined and rows of, of grapes and fences. You can have it all nice and pruned. You can do all the work of a great husbandman of a vineyard. You can do all the pruning. You can do all the soil work. You can work the ground. You can trim. You can do everything just right. But you still need the sun. You still need the sun. Now, the sun needs somebody to work the field, but the man in the field still needs the sun. We got to do only what we can do, but God has to do only what God can do. We do the cubit. We do the six-hand work, but it's not enough if we stop at a cubit. We need the seventh hand. We need that additional span of a man's hand, the man of the Son of God. We need his hand to reach down into this altar because we can have an altar call here today, but without the seventh hand in this altar, there is no conversion. There is no one being set free. There's no life being turned around. There's no one being transformed. Can we lift our hands? Come on, can someone cry out to God? Jesus, 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 I need your hand. I need your hand. I need your hand. I need your hand in this church, God. I need your hand in this place. Can you clap your hands to the Lord? Hallelujah. I want salvation in this place. And we... You can, you, you've heard it said, all of the things have been preached, and we wonder who's going to be saved. How can anyone in this dark world be saved? And we can have a nice building. We can have nice structure. 
we could put our six hands to work, but oh, six hands of a span of a man can only produce so much. Who's going to be saved just because the, because of brick and mortar? Who's going to be saved just because of carpet and plywood? Who's going to be saved because we have padded pews? What? How does that bring salvation? How does the material save that which is eternal? It cannot do that. So we ask the question, how can anyone be saved here today? And Jesus replied to his apostles. He says, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. We have to be in need of the seventh hand. We have to be in need. We must remain in the need of God's hand on this church. God intentionally does that. God intentionally gets you so emotionally invested in this church where you're working and you're toiling and laboring. But after all the effort you put into it, you seem to pull your hair in frustration wondering, why am I not seeing results? It's because God's wanting you to rely and to lean on him because he says i'll let you do so much until you see that's as far as you can go and that place when you get to the point it's as far as you can go that's when you cry out for help and say god i can't do anything beyond this this is my capacity this is my limitation god i can't do anything beyond this and lord i need you to do something beyond my measure and lord i need that extra hand breath breath on this altar Lord, I built this, Lord, six cubic, uh, one cubic, God. I put my six hands span on this, God. But Lord, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would put your hand on this altar today. God, I pray that you put your spirit on this altar today. God, I pray your spirit would draw someone here today. For I am not going to save a marriage. I am not going to save a soul. I am not going to set someone free. Jesus, it is you that sets the prisoner the captive, free. The Lord said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Look at this question God poses. This rhetorical question that's a no-brainer for an answer. Is there anything too hard for me? There's things too hard for us. It's too hard for you to get your marriage back together. It's too hard for you to see your family saved. It's, it's, it's too hard for you to see your own carcass saved. It's, it's too hard for, you know, people say, I, I need the Holy Ghost to get to heaven. I need the Holy Ghost to make it through Walmart. Man, what a world we live in. It's crazy. Whatever's too hard for us, it's not too hard for God. God can help somebody here today. However difficult of a time you're having in whatever element of your world right now, we serve a God who says, with you, yeah. Yeah, you could only reach, uh, you know, six spans of a hand. You could only reach a cubit. But here's my hand in the altar right now. Here's an extra hand breath that you need added to your altar. This is a hand you need added to your life. This is a hand you're missing in your life. This is a hand you're missing on your marriage. This is a hand you're missing in your family. This is a hand you're missing with your children. This is the hand you're missing in your addiction. This is a hand you're missing in your prayer life. Is somebody here in need of that seventh hand today? Would you stand to your feet if you're in need of that seventh hand right now? And would you reach up for it right now? Would you lift up your hand for the hand of the Lord and say, God, Lord, I've reached my capacity. Lord, I've reached my limitations, God. I cannot go beyond this. This is too hard for me. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. 
Remain standing, church. I'm coming to a close right now. The Holy Ghost is here. I've done what I'm able to do. I've done my cubits worth today. What we need now is the seventh hand. I've done all that I can do. I cannot manufacture the move of the Holy Ghost. I cannot conjure up some sort of emotion that's close to being like the Holy Ghost. For the Holy Ghost is joy unspeakable and full of glory. You keep building your altar. You keep working the church. You keep working on your marriage. What I'm saying is not this. I'm not saying, well, you know, since I can't save my soul, since I can't save my family, since I can't save my marriage, I'm just not going to try at all. That is not what I'm saying. God needs your cubit. God needs the six spans of your hand. God needs you making that effort. God needs you working six days. But we need the seventh day. I need the Sabbath. I need the rest to cause my weary soul to rest. I, I, I'll work all six days. I'm going to toil. I'm going to sweat. I'm going to work. But I need the seventh day. I need the day of rest. We're familiar perhaps with 1 Kings 18.44. We preached about it last year. About, you know, pray again, pray again, pray again. They were praying for God to come through. Elijah was praying for the rain to come in the time of famine. And he prayed the first time, nothing. The second time, nothing. The third time, nothing. The fourth time. And as the story goes, six times he puts in prayer and nothing happens. But don't stop at six. That's as far as we go as a man. But the seventh time, God's coming through. The hand of the Lord's going to come through. And the Bible says that the servant Elijah... He looked up that seventh time, and what did he see? He saw a little cloud rising out of the sea like a man's hand. Oh, God, let us see that seventh hand in this hour that we're living in right now. What we need in 2018 is the hand of the Lord upon this church. That is not to say we have not had the hand of the Lord on this church, for we have definitely seen the hand of of the Lord upon this church in this congregation. But we cannot be satisfied with all of our human ingenuity that we've put into this church. I am thankful for it. I'm appreciative of the Sunday school teachers. I'm appreciative of, appreciative of the classroom teachers who, who, who make a wonderful class downstairs. I'm thankful for the software programs that we're able to track attendance and reach out to people. I'm thankful for the wonderful instrumentation that we have. I'm thankful for this nice design and backdrop. What a beautiful church we have. What a wonderful building that we are blessed to be in. What a wonderful facility. Praise God. We have, you know, an asphalt parking lot before we had a pea gravel parking lot that I would baptize it in weed killer and they come back more uh, steroid injected than ever. It was, I'm thankful for the transition that we have made into this facility. And I don't, I don't begrudge it. I'm not against it. I don't want it to go away. I'm thankful for it. But if I have to pick the seventh hand or just merely our hand, I want the seventh hand. I want the hand of God. And Sister Miller shared her story here before we open up into the scripture text. 
And she did all that she can do. But it was the hand of the Lord that came down and came through and preserved the life of her mother. And this is why we didn't pray earlier in service. She didn't know I was contemplating thinking this, but she said she felt like sharing her testimony and just God knows how to orchestrate a service. But I, I believe right now is going to be our prayer service. And we have an altar call every, every Sunday. But right now, without screaming and yelling this microphone right now, I wonder if there's someone here. You're doing all that you know to do and all that you can do. But you're, you've gone as far as you can go. And you're coming to terms with, I need that extra hand on this altar. Is God talking to someone here right now? Is it just me that senses the Holy Ghost in this room? We need the hand of the Lord. And if you're here right now, before I make a general altar call for everyone to come up to, if you're here right now and you desperately, not casually, you desperately need that seventh hand I'm preaching about right now in your life, in your world presently, would you come forward? I just want to know clearly who I'm going to be praying with right now. If no one comes forward, no one comes forward. But I'm talking about desperately. You want that seventh hand on your life. You know, we could covet earnestly the best gifts. We can pre- pray and, and seek for the deeper things of God. And that's our part. We do the praying. But until the hand of God touches our life, there is no gifting of the Spirit. Until that hand reaches out, that mighty hand and outstretched arm, until it makes contact with you, you we, we, it's all in vain. Wonderful. I'll give, I'm going to give it just another moment or two if anyone else would like to come forward. I'm not going to pressure. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But I want to know who I'm praying for and how I'm praying. I believe God is going to honor everyone's step of faith right now. And I'm going to begin to pray for you. I, I, I'm weak in body. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to shake you and spit and yell and scream and and all that. But do not let my lack of emotion or lack of energy be the gauge of the hand of the Lord as I pray for you, because as I pray for you, I feel in the Holy Ghost. And this is why I'm doing this right now. I feel in the Holy Ghost. You're going to feel the hand of your, the Lord on your life and you are going to see a significant difference in that moment. And I want you the moment my hand gets placed on your head. I want you by faith to receive the hand of the Lord and say, God, I receive it right now. And I don't want you being quiet and just internally thinking things. I want your voice to show out of desperation. You do your cubits worth and God will do his hand span worth. You hear me? You understand what we just preached about? You do your part. You let God do his part. But if you don't do your part, if you don't build the cubit on the altar, God doesn't add the hand that needs to be added to the altar. There is no extra hand without you building the altar right now. I want you to begin to close your eyes and drown out everything around you. And whatever it is you're praying about, I want you to begin to lift your voice and build your altar right now. And do not stop until you are prayed for. Do not stop praying until the hand of the Lord comes upon your life. Come on, lift up your voice, church. That's it right now. I pray by the power and the authority of the Holy Ghost. God, I have done the work you have asked me to do today. I have done my cubits worth. But Jesus, now is the moment. I pray, God, that you add your hand breath to this altar. For without that hand, nothing will happen in Jesus' name. Right now, by the power and the authority of the Word of God, Lord, extend your hand upon your people right now. In Jesus' name. That's it.